book of Nehemiah. I've entitled this series, uh, it's, it's Never Too Late for a New Beginning. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. It's never too late for a new beginning. I don't know what kind of situation you're in. Rebuilding happens many times in life. There's all kinds of things that we deal with. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you realized you needed a new start, a new beginning, a fresh beginning. No matter how bad it seems, it's never too late for a new beginning. A little background on Nehemiah. The Jews had been taken into captivity for 70 years. 70 years. And when allowed to return to Jerusalem, they began the incredible task of rebuilding the temple. And it took them 20 years to finish because of all the discouragement and the opposition that they faced. Because whenever God's people say, let's arise and build, Satan always says, let me arise and oppose. Anytime you step into a new beginning, you will have opposition. Great news, right? But I might as well tell you that ahead of time so you're ready and you recognize it and you don't get discouraged. You say, well, I can't believe this is happening to me. Believe it. There's no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. There's no victory without vigilance. Ninety years after they returned to Jerusalem, the walls of the city still remained desolate and the people lived in affliction and shame. And at this point, God called Nehemiah. God always raises up someone to match the need of the hour. You may be that someone with what God wants to do in your sphere of influence. You may be that someone that God is tapping on the shoulder saying, I've got a job for you to do. Will you just arise and do what I've asked you to do? You may not have to go halfway around the world. It may be in your house. It may be at your job. It might be in your friend sphere of influence. Wherever you are, realize God has something for you to do. So what's God calling you to do? We need to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? And I believe you'll only be truly successful in life when that question is answered and has become a reality in your life. When you step into your purpose for why God has you here. You may be doing something like Nehemiah was and realize I have a greater purpose than what I'm doing right here, nine to five. And you will become truly successful when you step into that purpose. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one says, there, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them, somebody say, I asked them. 
I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. First thing I want you to see is Nehemiah cared enough to ask. In order to start your new beginning, you need to ask some big questions. I, I was thinking about that this morning, and, and a lot of things happen around here because someone asks a question. The videos you see, the recording that we have available, Powerplace Worship, it all took place in an upstairs room. It takes place there every week. Somebody says, what are you doing with that room up there? Hello? And, and the reality was we built the room because you gave and you, some of you men said, I'm in, let me help you build. And what we built in the beginning was a storage room. And we realized we need something more than storage. We need the ability to go worldwide with what God is doing here. Amen. And so some of you said, what can I do? You asked the question. You cared enough to ask. Everything around here happens because someone asked the question, what needs to be done? What can I do? We built the room. And then we needed the, the equipment to go in the room. And someone came to me and said, Pastor, what do you need to fill that room with? And, and Landon had already typed me out a sheet of everything they needed. And I handed it to him and I said, there it is. It's $20,000. And he looked at the list. He said, I'm going to give you 22000 because you're probably going to need more than that. And because of that generosity, because of that brave gift, you and I have the ability to share music from this house with your friends and family. I could, I could tell you every story in this, in this building. That wall right there wasn't here when we took over this space. But Richie Reinheimer and Anthony Lewis said, what do you need? What needs to be done? We can do that. That wall and the other walls and all the other walls and all the tile work and all the painting and all the everything that's happened in this place is because someone said, what can I do? I'm asking the question, what needs to be done? How are things? Things aren't that great. And notice what, what he says to Nehemiah. I asked them about the Jews who returned from there to captivity and how, I, how things were going in Jerusalem. He said to me, things aren't going well. And if you're willing to ask, you see, this is the beginning of, of getting a brand new start. This is the beginning of a new beginning for you, is asking, how are things going? You need to ask that about your situation. 
How am I really doing? Are things going the way I think they should? Are things going the way the Lord wants them to go? Nehemiah asked the question and got to the bottom of things. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah saw the conditions as they really were. He knew God's intentions and how far they had fallen short. New beginnings take honest evaluation. And if you're going to get anywhere, if you're going to have a new beginning, you've got to honestly evaluate where are you. And in Nehemiah's case, the walls were broken down, the gates were destroyed, they were burned. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18 says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Salvation and praise, in this case, was, was in ruins. Everything was burned down. And you need to ask the question, I need to ask the question, what's broken down in my situation? What's laying in ruins? Nehemiah verse 4 says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And really, this is the starting point of any change in your life, for any rebuilding, for any, any ministry, any new beginning. Nehemiah sat down. He wept over the situation. He mourned. He fasted and prayed over the revelation of conditions as they really were. Not the, the pie in the sky, oh, everything's fine, I'm good, oh, I, we're going to make it somehow. In order for a new beginning to take place, you got to get down deep. Because you can never begin changing, rebuilding, starting over until God opens your eyes to see things as they really are. You'll never have a ministry of any kind until you begin to see things as they really are. You've got to get to the point that you weep over the ruins. There are a lot of ruins. Sometimes it's our families. It's our friends. It's our children. Our witness. Even our giving can be in ruins. Our commitment, our prayer life, our, our Bible reading, our Christ-like lifestyle, our consistent testimony, our separation from worldliness. Are our walls in ruins? What bothers you like that? What keeps you awake at night? What bothers you to the point that you weep over the ruins? What really messes you up? After Nehemiah wept, 
Bible tells us he went to work. You need to weep, but don't just weep. You need to pray, but don't just pray. You need to mourn, but don't just mourn. Get to work. Look at your neighbor and say, get to work. There's some things you need to do to change this situation. There's some things that can be done, and you need to get up and get to work. Nudge your other neighbor. Say, get to work. Let's go. Come on, we've got a job to do. After Nehemiah's despair came his determination. He turned in the right direction. He cast himself in utter dependency on God. It says in verse nine, 5, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see my praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. People you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. He had a big job. He ate and drank everything that was going to be given to the king before the king. In case there was poison in it, he would die first. And they wouldn't give it to the king. What a great job. You get to taste some great stuff, but you might die in the process. Notice what he says. Please grant me favor today. Give me success. Favor should be a daily prayer. Favor's not fair. But favor is a blessing. One day of favor in your life is better than a thousand days of just trying to work to get there. When, when God favors you, it changes everything. Lord, if I'm going to be able to rebuild, start over and change, it's going to take your favor. I need you on my team leading me, favoring me, moving things out of my way, putting things in my, my way, Exodus chapter 12, verse 35, And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. Notice what the next verse says. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. Come on. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. When God's hand of favor is on you, People do stuff for you. You don't even have to ask sometimes. But when you do ask, God is favoring you, and so he's nudging them. Amen. So, hey, take care of this guy. And, and people look at you and they're like, I don't know what it is about you, but I just feel like I need to. 
I've told you this story before. When we first started this church, I needed money bad. And I think it was a Monday night, my doorbell rings. It was a lady out of our church and her daughter. And she, she was weeping and shaking. I said, what, what's wrong? She said, can I come in? I need to give you something. And, and she walks in, and I'm like, what's going on? She said, well, I was at the Christian bookstore, and I was standing in line to pay out. And the man behind me started asking me questions. And he said, where do you go to church? Who's your pastor? Blah, blah, blah. And finally, she said, at the end of the conversation, he, he looked at me and he said, here, give this to your pastor. He'll know what to do with it. She said, I don't, I don't know what, what it, I opened it up. There's 11 $100 bills. Who does that? God tapped him on the shoulder, said, talk to that lady. Her pastor needs money, and you got money in your pocket, so give it to him. I, I, as I was reading this this morning, I was reminded again of, of a man that is a, a dear friend of ours, Al Hamilton. When he was a young man, he was working in the coal mines in in, in uh, Pennsylvania, and God spoke to him and said, there's coal in that mountain over there. And his boss owned the mountain. And he kept telling his boss, there's coal in that mountain. The boss said, no, I've already looked at it. There's nothing there. Now I kept bugging him. He goes, there, the Lord says there's coal in that mountain. He said, look, if you want that mountain, you can have it. It's yours. You can have all the coal that's in it. He gave him the mountain. Al began to to find the vein of one of the largest veins of coal in this area. He has financed all kinds of churches and missionaries. And, and uh, when we came to start this church, he wrote me a letter and he said, Betty and I want to support you $500 a month. I just came across the letter yesterday. Friday, it was Friday. I'm like, I, I didn't even remember that. And, and so they sent us every month $500. So, Pastor, you didn't get paid from this church for several years, right? No, I didn't because God was taking care of us other ways. We were able to pour all everything into the ministry of this church. And then two years later, after we started the church, he wrote me another letter. And he said, we're not going to continue to support you every month. He said, but here's a check for $2,000. I'm telling you, when you live in the favor of God and you allow God to favor you, you get in his good graces, you stay in the surprise position, God can take care of you. And those are a few of the millions of stories that I could tell you today. Some people don't want me to tell you how they've blessed us. They want to remain anonymous. I didn't ask Al if I could tell that, but he, he's okay. <laughs> Call me if, if that upsets you. <laughs> I'm telling you, God, 
God had his hand of favor on this church in our beginning days, and he still does today. And no man can stop what God wants to do because when God favors you, nobody can stop you. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 512. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. There's this force field, this, this shield about. He is a shield about me. He's my glory and the lifter of my head. He's an awesome God, and he surrounds me with his favor as with a shield. Nothing can penetrate that shield unless he gives it the permission to. Psalm 90, verse 17, the psalmist prays, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. One of my daily prayers, Lord, let your favor rest on me. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see, that's what, what the crazy thing is about favor. When God favors you, you're not having to work near as hard. Because now you're working... And the psalmist prays, Lord, establish the work of my hands for me. And when God is establishing the work of your hands for you, if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on. If God is on my side, no one can stand against me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Favor ain't fair, but it's lovely, yeah. Now, I want you to notice uh, Nehemiah's prayer. Did you happen to notice the uh, Acts prayer model that we talked about last Sunday? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Did you happen to notice that or did you just miss that? Has, did anybody see that? When we were reading it. Anybody see that? Let me point it out to you. That's how Nehemiah prayed. He opened up with adoration. You're the, you're the God. Verse 5. You are the great and awesome God who keeps this covenant of unfailing love. Amen. And he, he adores God. He, he praises him. And then he confesses his sin. Confesses the sin of his nation. And there's no specific word of thanksgiving here, but there's this attitude of thanksgiving throughout the prayer. And then the supplication of asking. So he's got praise, consistent night and day praying. He said, I'm praying night and day. Confession, reminding God of his word. Okay? He's reminding God, remember when you said, Lord, remember? Remember what you said? Now, do you think God really forgets what he said? No, but it's good for you to remind him. Just say, Lord, you made a covenant, and, and I'm going to stand in that covenant. I, I just remember you remember what you said, and I'm reminding you of what you said because I'm standing in it. And then he petitioned God. He brought his supplication. It, it wasn't just a bless me prayer. And I wonder how many times we just pray bless, bless me prayers. That's kind of what the favor prayer is, but I pray it anyway. But that's not the only prayer I pray. Okay? I'm adoring God. I'm praising Him. I'm, I'm confessing. I'm thanking Him. 
I'm bringing my supplication and my petition to him. Rebuilding. Rebuilding is a part of life. It, I mean, there are many seasons of, of rebuilding in your life. You rebuild after a setback. Have you ever had a setback? <laughs> rebuild after a divorce, after a job transition, moving to a new area. Maybe you rebuild after the loss of a loved one. It's part of life. Rebuilding is a part of life. And Nehemiah is a, is a role model for rebuilding. In order to rebuild your life or anything else, you need to get started right. Getting started right is the key to finishing well. I mean, ask Tim Brown. How many golfers do you have to try to change what they started wrong? Right? I mean, you, you, you start learning to swing wrong, it's going to take some rethinking, rechanging, retraining to get you right. When you start right, you finish well. So make an honest evaluation of your situation. Get real. What, what's, going, what's really going on here? What needs to change? Identify what the need is. Identify it. What, what needs to change? Thirdly, take personal responsibility. Don't play the blame game. Well, you know, I, I'd, I'd be fine if, if, we play the blame game and we never get better. We never move out of our situation the way it is. We need to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to do? Not what happened to me. Maybe you need to identify that, but okay. So that happened, now what do I need to do? I can't stay here any longer. Things are laying in ruins around me. Things have got to change. So what do I need to do? And then get to work. Get to work. Move out of your comfort zone. Do something you've never done so you can have what you've never had. Well, I tried, I tried. Try something different. Ask for the Lord's help. Ask for his favor. Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan. Didn't know Nisan was in the Bible. You know, you know what, which car is in the Bible that, that uh, it, it's probably the largest car that holds the most people. The Bible says in the book of Acts that they were 120, were all in one accord. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but. <sighs> Sorry, it just. Things come to me, and, and sometimes I have to let it out. So early, 
<laughs> Early following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence because to appear sad in the king's presence, you can get your head chopped off. And, and I think, you know, we as God's people, no matter where you live, what, what job you do, where you work, we need to resolve not to be a misfit. We need to resolve not to always be needing something. Nehemiah lived an exemplary life. He wasn't a quack. This wasn't just another weird tangent. Not just another strange request. Oh, here comes Nehemiah with his whatever. I mean, some of us get labeled that way because we're always up and down and all over the place. Nehemiah wasn't that way. He was this way. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. He recognized something's going on here. This, this is out of the ordinary for you. May we live such a, a, a clean, ordinary life that when something begins to trouble us, people recognize this isn't normal for you. Oh, here comes so-and-so. Oh, I wonder what they need now. Then I was terrified, he said. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It had been four months since Nehemiah had learned of the conditions of Jerusalem. He'd held this in for four months. He carried this burden in secret. He was patient. Somebody say patient. The Greek word for patience literally means it takes a long time to boil. It takes a long time to boil. He had patience. Nehemiah had preparation time. It was like God either removed the burden from me or deepened it until I have to do something. <coughs> And you need to know this, the need never constitutes the call. There's need all around you, but not every need is what you have to respond to. You have to respond to what God lays on your heart. You can't meet every person's need in the entire world, but you can meet somebody's need. There is an assignment for you. Look at your neighbor and tell them, there's an assignment for you. There's an assignment for you. It's not everybody else's assignment, but it's your assignment. The king asks, verse 4, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. And let me just say, this is the best place to start. You need a starting point with a prayer to the God of heaven. Before you reply, pray. Ask for the Lord's help. 
Ask for the Lord's favor. Ask for the Lord's guidance. Give, Lord, give me wisdom to know what to say and how to say it. Psalmist says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. God says, I'll open your mouth wide, I'll fill it. Jesus said to the disciples, you're going to be drawn before priests and, 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 and judges and all kinds of... Don't worry about what to say. I'll give you what you need to say in that moment. That's the anointing of God. And he wants to fill you. So ask, like, like Nehemiah did, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah needed to know that he was sent. And you need that same sense in your life that what I'm doing, God has sent me. I've been sent by God. I reminded John, first John, uh, John, the first chapter, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. He realized he was sent by God, and so he walked in that authority. You know how we came to Kenneth Square? With an authority. We walked in knowing God sent us here. Nobody else recognized that. Everyone I talk to, they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? Why? Go away. Nobody would give us space to rent. Nobody. They looked at me and said, we don't need another church here. Get out. Go away. You're bothering us. Did, did I walk out going, oh, nobody wants us here. <laughs> Okay, let's just pack up our bags and go home. <laughs> no. I'm sent by God. God sent us here to start this church. There's no question about that in my spirit. I know what he said. I know how he called us. I know what he put in our spirit. And so we're walking as if we're sent by God. Nehemiah did the same thing. He said, I need to be sent. Send me. King with the queen sitting beside him asks, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And he's asking for a huge leave of absence. And after I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. He needed to know, not only am I sent, but I'm going to be safe. Come on. You need to know you're safe in God's hands. If you can trust God with your eternity, then you've got to trust him with your here and now. It's a big deal. You're safe in God's hands. If he places something that needs to be done in your heart, he will send you and keep you safe on the journey. People look at you like, I don't know how you got here. I don't know how you did that. Hey, I've been sent by God, and I'm safe in his hands. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. I'm safe. John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father's given them to me, and he's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. <laughs> Come on. I'm safe in his hands. No matter what the enemy throws my way. No, I'm going to be safe because I've been sent. Nehemiah also needed to know that he would be supplied. Sent, safe, supplied. And continue to see God's supernatural power. Safe, sent, supplied, supernaturally, surrounded. There's some good S's. Sent, safe, supplied, supernaturally surrounded. Mm. Safe, sent, supplied, supernaturally surrounded. Safe, sent, supplied, supernaturally surrounded. What an awesome God. He did it for Nehemiah and he'll do it for you. Nehemiah 2, 8, please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house of myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. We went to put up these walls. Anthony said, I used to work for a guy. He's got an account. I'm going to talk to him. When he talked to him, he said, I'll give you my business discount. That man's name was Matt Doughton, who helped supply the materials to build all these walls. Never stepped foot inside this church for years. Then he couldn't stay away. Come on. Sent, safe, supplied, supernaturally surrounded. I'm getting a little more excited than you are, but it's all right. Listen, there's favor here. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Favor. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. Dude, I am here by the king's command. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. 
above and beyond. God does above and beyond what we could ask or think or imagine. Verse 10. With this I close, kind of. Don't get excited and start running for the door yet. Man, last week I, I let you go and you ran. It was like, out of here. I will get out of here. Whoa, serious? Verse 10, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Sent, safe, supplied, supernaturally surrounded. And yet, in the middle of that, Nehemiah started a battle. And anytime you start to do something for God and step into your calling, you start a battle. And, and, and most of us are shocked by that. Like, Whoa, what happened? I, I never had any of these troubles before I gave my life to Jesus. Because you were on the other side. You weren't a problem to the enemy. You were part of his team. And now you stepped across the line and then he's like, whoa, 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 dude. And it starts to oppose you. You're starting a battle. And when is the last time you caused the enemy of your soul to sit up and take notice? I mean, if you're not in a battle, you need to be asking yourself the question, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not getting any opposition from the enemy? Because when you begin to oppose the enemy, you get kicked back. And the crazy thing is, there, there were plenty of other Jews in Jerusalem who had just gotten used to how things were. Walls torn down, no big deal. Gates burned, oh well. No concern. Just perfectly satisfied with how things were. And Nehemiah shows up and he declares war on things as they were. Things as usual. I think it's high time that we begin to declare war on things as usual. When we do, the battle begins. If you're going to rebuild your life, there's going to be a battle. If you're going to get a fresh start, a new beginning, there will be some pushback. But guarantee it. Don't get, don't get all discouraged and worried about it. Realize, this is good. It's good that I'm getting pushed back from the enemy. This is good that I'm getting, ugh. You see, it's far easier to believe in God than it is to surrender to God. I'll say that again. It's far easier to believe in God than it is to surrender to God. When you surrender, that's when things begin to change.
once you're totally surrendered to God, the enemy will do his best to discourage you. And some of us have given in to that. We're like, nah, the fight just isn't worth it. I don't know. I, 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 I'm going back to my old lifestyle because I didn't have any pushback then. All my friends liked me. I'm thinking of the prodigal son who went and took his father's inheritance and just spent it everywhere and, and had friends when he was spending the money on them and partying because everybody was in. And, and then all of a sudden, the money ran out and the friends ran out. He found himself eating out of the pigsty. Picture this good Jewish boy eating pig food. They didn't even associate with pigs. He came to his senses. Some of you need to come to your senses at this point. Say, God, what's going on? Maybe I need to come back to you. You're going to get pushback from the enemy, but remember, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And now you've, got, you've really got something to fight for. You've got something to fight for. Maybe you've got broken down walls, gates, and you, you, you're even to the point where you're saying, you know what, I'm worthless. It's, it's just not. Nobody wants me anymore. Nobody wants what I've got. It, it's... I've been beaten up, broken down. Everything's laying in ruins for so long. Can there really be a new beginning for me? I was reminded that uh, anybody want this? Would you like 20 bucks? Well, Yeah, you probably wouldn't want it now. Right? Because, I mean, it's all crumpled up. It just, it's not. Maybe if I took it to the bank like this, they'd give me 18 bucks for it. Or... What about now? Yeah, nobody wants that. It's been beaten up pretty bad. It's kind of in ruins. Somehow, somehow, this is still worth 20 bucks. And somehow you still want it. No matter what's been done to it. No matter where it's been, what's happened to it, you still want it because it's still worth 20 bucks. Some of us look at our lives and we're like, yeah, I'm not worth anything anymore. And God says, you are worth what I paid for you. You're worth the price of my son, Jesus Christ. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've been through, 
you are worth it. I still love you. I gave a generous gift for you. Generous. So yeah, but I, I've messed up my life. The missionary was traveling in the Far East when he came across a booth in a marketplace, and it was a tapestry maker's booth. And as he walked by, he saw a strange sight. A man was standing in the booth shouting at his loom on the other side of the booth. And as he shouted, threads appeared in the tapestry almost by magic. The missionary asked his guide for an explanation. The guy said, well, the man you see is a master weaver. And he's speaking to his apprentice behind the loom, telling him what color thread to use and where to put it. Only the weaver knows the entire design, so it's vital that the apprentice do exactly as the master commands. The missionary said, well, does the apprentice ever make a mistake? Of course he does. But the weaver is a very kind man and he will rarely have the boy take out the thread. Instead, being a great artist, he simply works the mistake into the design. Can God really take my messed up life and do something with it? Absolutely he can. He wants to. He's waiting for you to yield yourself to him and say, Lord, do with me whatever you want to do. I've really messed up. My, my walls are laying in ruins. My gates are torn down, broken and burned and destroyed by fire. And yet, God says, I still see the worth in you. I, I don't care how beaten up you've been, how, how broken you are. I find you worth the price of my son, Jesus Christ.